What's up, everybody? This is it. This is episode 23 of Internal Budget. As always, I'm Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sends.com, and the host with the most for this here podcast. Oh boy, what a week. What a week it was in terms of sports news and just news in general. We're getting to that point now where this kind of lull without anything going on is completely over. Because, I mean, good lord, like, there was so much that happened this week. And we might as well dive right into it. Not much in the way of Ottawa Senators news other than the draft lottery coming up, and we will certainly get to that. But the perhaps the biggest news story that came out this past week was Daniel Carcillo, former NHL player and Stanley Cup champion, and more recently activist for concussion awareness, especially through the game of hockey, and for plant-based medicine. He is launching a class action lawsuit against the Canadian Hockey League, along with a young man named Garrett Taylor. And I want to be very careful talking about this because none of the allegations have been proven as of yet. But it's a frankly horrifying story, especially that Taylor outlines... I'm not going to give you the gory details here on the podcast. If you want to find it, I would highly encourage you to go do it. But honest to God, some of the stuff that he outlines and that he says he and his teammates went through, the things that were done to these rookies in the name of hazing, people have gone to jail for war crimes. For less. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm struggling to even talk about it right now because it was it is just brutal. It's vile. And the kind of th- the kinds of things that those kids were subjected to are things that that would scar anyone for life. And I want to emphasize that word, kids, because they were kids. These are 16, 17, 18-year-old kids away from home for the most part and being tortured by the veterans and coaching staff of their team that are supposed to be looking out for them and supposed to be showing them the ropes and teaching them how to become professional hockey players, or at least as close as they can get to being professional hockey players. You know, when I played football at the University of Toronto, there's hazing, but it's not anything remotely close to this. It's, you know, you, you have to put on a, a skit for the veterans in training camp, and but one, nothing illicit or illegal happened, and two... They took care of us. When we were at a party and one of our guys had too much to drink, our vets would take care of them and get them home. That's leadership. 
That's what being a veteran player is supposed to be. You know, you shouldn't have to endure physical and psychological abuse to achieve your dream of becoming a professional hockey player. It boggles my mind. And again, these are allegations as of right now. If you follow Daniel on Twitter, he's mentioned that there's proof. But as it stands, these are just allegations. And look, even for argument's sake, if all this stuff didn't go down, stuff similar has gone down. This has been part of the culture for, of hockey for way too long, and it has improved. I don't believe that this is a commonplace thing in today's game. Maybe I'm wrong in that assessment. I'm not a hockey player. I'm not in locker rooms. But I talked a few weeks ago about the Brendan Leipzig debacle and how I'm not sure what more, what more people need to acknowledge that there is a systemic problem with hockey culture. And... I'm even less sure about that now. If there are people that have read this story and don't think that it's indicative of a problem within the game, then I don't know where we go from here. I really don't. If you look at the stories and the instances outlined in that article and you tell me you don't think that's wrong, which I don't know that there's anyone that wouldn't think that was wrong or that if, or if you think this is some kind of outlier. I don't know what more you need to see. It's happened from the top down, from Don Cherry to Brett Hall, all the way down to junior, to minor hockey where the GTHL is under a ton of fire right now for seemingly trying to cover up how often racial slurs are used in their games. It's got to stop. The first step to fixing a problem is to admit that there is a problem. And everyone in the game needs to be on board. From parents and players in minor hockey all the way to the very top of the professional leagues. Because this can't be allowed to continue. I'm going to be following this story closely, as I'm sure many of you will. And I doubt it's going to be a topic that's going away anytime soon as it pertains to the podcast. And man, reading that was tough because whew, I've been feeling good lately. I got to say. A little more pep in my step. Weather's nicer. Going to get some time with the family soon because coronavirus cases are going down here in Ontario. 
And speaking of coronavirus, there was plenty of, shall we say, instances of note as it pertains to professional sports. Cases are on the uptick again in the United States. Florida added 4,000 cases on Saturday alone. That's only the state of Florida. And it's looking as if it could complicate the return of professional sports. The NHL said they had 11 players test positive for the virus. There were other staff members that also tested positive. Teams from the Tampa Bay Lightning to the Boston Bruins. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. These are all playoff teams that have been confirmed to have cases. And the Toronto Maple Leafs were in the news, as they often are. And there's no sense dancing around it, so we'll just get right to it. Steve Simmons of the Toronto Sun reported that Austin Matthews had tested positive for COVID-19. The Leafs didn't confirm or deny this. And Simmons said he got the information from sources, so not Austin Matthews' camp, it would appear. So a lot of people are upset about this. They're upset that a journalist took it upon himself to release the private health information of a professional athlete. And before I really get into this, I just want to say one thing, and that's that I get why Steve Simmons did it. It's his job to find stories. That's how he puts food on his table. And Austin Matthews having COVID-19 is a pretty damn big story, especially in a Toronto market. So I get why he reported it. I don't think he should have, though. And uh, that seems to be the prevailing opinion. And like I said, I get it. I get the need to want to find interesting things to write about. I'm not a writer on the level of Steve Simmons, but it's it's this, I'm in the same boat. It's my job is to find stuff to write about. And it can be hard, especially in times like this. And a star player having COVID-19 would be huge. And the argument that... I think Steve has made is that, you know, it's Ezekiel Elliott of the Dallas Cowboys also tested positive and that became public information. So he was saying, if I'm not mistaken, something along the lines of, well, if, if that's, if that's okay, if it's okay to know about Zeke, but not okay to know about Austin Matthews, what's up with that? And the issue is Ezekiel Elliott put the information out himself through his agent. Austin Matthews didn't appear to have any say in this. The Toronto Maple Leafs definitely don't appear to have had any say in this information getting out. No NHL team has publicized the name or names of players that tested positive for the coronavirus. Not the Ottawa Senators, not the Pittsburgh Penguins, not the Bruins, not the Lightning, nobody. 
And it should be that way. Because we look at these hockey players like they're public figures. And they are. But that doesn't preclude them from the basic right to privacy that private citizens enjoy. If I test positive for COVID-19, that was me touching wood, it's not going to be in the newspaper tomorrow. And it's, it's, you know, it's not even going to be like buried in the back of the newspaper. There's not a section that says what people were that tested positive for COVID. That's because it's private. Especially with a disease like this, where it's highly stigmatized. Do you think if I test positive for COVID-19, any of my family or my friends are going to want to be around me? Or anyone at all? No. If my face is everywhere, and even after I'm clean and I'm, not, I'm testing negative, I try to go to the grocery store, and people recognize my face and they say, oh, well, he had COVID. That's stigma. Austin Matthews does not deserve that. Austin Matthews has made mistakes. They have been well publicized. But Austin Matthews is a person. And he doesn't deserve to have his private information outed as front page news for essentially clickbait. Because what of substance do you gain from reporting that? It's not raising awareness of COVID-19. There's not a person in North America who, does, who, knows what, who doesn't know what COVID-19 is. And if they don't, they're living in the woods somewhere, and I envy them. So I don't see the benefit. I don't see any good coming from reporting without his express permission, and that's the key, that Austin Matthews has COVID-19. If Matthews had said, you know what? Hey, Steve, um, I tested positive for COVID-19. I'd like to do an interview with you so we can raise awareness so people know to get tested and that anyone can get it. That's a totally different thing. We're not having this discussion. If, we, if, if Austin Matthews did that, then I'm sitting here praising him on the podcast. Not saying he should have done that. Again, it's, pri- it's his private health information. He can do with it what he wishes. But he should get to decide how it comes out. Nobody else should have any control of that. It's not fair. Just because you're an athlete, just because you're a public figure, you don't sign away your right to basic human decency. Do I think Steve Simmons is a bad guy? No, I I don't know him. I, I would never say that without having any sort of impression of the person he is. I know he's become somewhat unpopular, but that has a tendency to happen to journalists. And in fairness, it has a tendency to happen to good journalists. And now, if you're Steve Simmons, what happens to you? Do you think the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to want anything to do with you from here on out? The Leafs, Brendan Shanahan, Kyle Dubas, they have to be just fuming. 
they have to be absolutely livid with this getting out, outside of their control. So yeah, it's newsworthy for sure. But does it cross a line? I think so. Does it do any good? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think it does good for anybody. Not for Matthews, not for the Leafs, not for Simmons. So that's where I land on it. When you do a kind of cost-benefit analysis of it, when you put it all in the in a Venn diagram, I don't see the benefit of putting that information out there. I really don't. And I'm not ragging Simmons. I'm not ragging the sun. That's just my two cents on it. If I had that information, I probably wouldn't have put it out there. Maybe that's easy for me to say. Maybe the temptation would have been there if I did have that information. But I don't think that's the case. Because if I had the coronavirus, I don't want it getting out without me putting it up. And I think that I think the same can be said for a lot of people, athletes or non-athletes. But all these hockey players testing positive, that really that really complicates the NHL's return to play plans. We're only in phase 2 and we have this many infections going on. I think you do kind of have to look at the details of it. There's a good amount of new cases in that were found in Florida and Arizona, if Matthews did indeed test positive. And those are states that are really on the upswing right now. I just mentioned Florida adding 4,000 cases on Saturday alone. That's bananas. That's insane. That's horrifying is what it is. I can't find an adjective to express the gravity of that situation. There have been renewed calls now for, for from people saying that the NHL just needs to cancel the season. That they tried. Clearly they can't pull it off safely. The problem is it's not centralized right now. If you get all these players in the same location, then you have a little more control of who they're in contact with and any kind of potential exposure. But you've got players and teams that are getting together and training and practicing all over the country, all over the continent right now. So I think if you're the NHL, the plan is to just put your protocols in place, and they have, and just grin and bear it for now. Is that the right strategy? I don't know. It certainly doesn't look that way right now. But do I think the NHL cancels the season? No, I don't. There's too much money on the line. We've talked about this. The amount of revenue that they would stand to lose, especially after the expenses that are going to come from all this COVID testing and these safety protocols, it would be astronomical. It would be a colossal loss if the NHL does not conclude this season from TV revenue alone. I think a lot of it is going to come down to the athletes. I think the only way that this show does not get on the road is one, obviously if tons of players get infected, which 
could happen. I mean, they found 11 cases. I think it was. Hopefully they caught them all in time because this disease is so damn contagious when you're in close quarters and in close contact with people. I just hope they caught them all. I hope there was no excess transmission because if there was, this is going to get a lot worse. So, one, a major kind of league-wide outbreak. Or two, is if the players themselves say, you know what, screw you, we're not doing this. Those are the only scenarios in which I see the NHL not playing games this season. To finish, the, I mean, this playoffs, to finish the, to finish the season. Is that right or wrong? Again, I, I don't know. A lot of people have opinions. A lot of people are saying, shut it down. I've always been the, of the opinion uh, that if you can do it safely, do it. I mean, you have over 200 players being tested and you have 11 positives. I mean, percentage-wise, it's not the worst. But that's just for right now. That's a less than 1% positive rate, which is what the province of Ontario is at. And things are starting to reopen. So if you can get to a point where you get all these teams centralized in their hub city and nobody's sick and you can verify that nobody coming in or out is going to be sick, that you can keep your non-essential staff safe, do it. Ethically, do it. But if they can't, then obviously don't. But I think people don't have faith that the NHL will shut things down even if they can't guarantee people's safety. And that's certainly a valid concern. If the players don't feel safe, I don't think they should play. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. I think a lot, I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the players. The league and the owners obviously have a ton of control. They've taken players to the cleaners the last couple of lockouts. But for me, I really see, at the end of the day, like the league can't play games without players. So I think the only way this doesn't go down is if the players put the brakes on it and say, we're not doing this. This isn't safe. You can't keep us safe. We're not putting ourselves at risk. Would that ever happen? Again, I don't know. These guys are competitors. They want to play for the Stanley Cup. I like to think that they wouldn't put their lives on the line for it. But having been an athlete, I understand the mentality. And especially when you get to that level, that's something only they can understand. Only the people that done it can understand. Watch Greg, we watched Gregory Campbell play an entire shift on a broken leg. The toughness of hockey players knows no bounds. And they're tough to a fault. So it could very well be that they end up putting themselves at risk to play hockey games. Hopefully it's not. But like I said, I think the only way that the NHL doesn't conclude their playoff, despite whatever happens, is if the players say no. 
And the other big news story before we get to questions here. We are finally less than a week away. The NHL draft lottery takes place on Friday, June 26th. It is a day that Senators fans have been waiting for with bated breath for over a year, really. Since the Jack Hughes draft, and probably even before that. I don't even know what else I can say about it at this point. I've been a Senators fan for a long time. I've talked to people that have been Sens fans or been around the team even longer than I have. And the consensus seems to be that this could be the biggest moment in the franchise's history. What is about to take place is one of the most important days in Ottawa Senators history. And I was actually having a discussion with some of the guys on Twitter the other day. Joe was there. Matt Bosty was there. And Bosty was basically saying that the Senators getting fifth or sixth is nothing to be upset about in the draft. If, if Even if Ottawa ends up picking fifth and sixth, they're still getting two great players. Then they sh- fans shouldn't be upset about missing out on the other on the top four, and I get that. I get the sentiment. Even though Bosty ruins my podcast every time he comes on, but my thing on it is this: that difference between getting a pick in the top four and picking fifth and sixth, it could be huge. You're gonna get great players either way. But if you miss out on an Alexi Lafreniere or a Quinton Byfield or even a Tim Stutzel, that hurts a lot because those aren't just guys that are going to be great players. Those guys have, I'll say, a higher potential to be franchise-altering players than the guys below them. As I put it, it could be the difference between having a great team that maybe wins a cup and having a dynasty. If Ottawa picks second and third, even that is a massive, massive win. Would I be upset with any of the players that the Sens can get at five or six? No, absolutely not. They're all fantastic. Especially That whole top ten is loaded. Pierre Dorian has said they think they're going to get great players all the way to pretty much the third round. So, yeah, you're going to get great players either way. But if you're Ottawa, you've been holding out for this. You've suffered through the Eric Carlson trade. You've suffered through losing Mark Stone and J.G. Pajot and every other horrible off-ice debacle, catastrophe, apocalypse. (laughs) You want one of those marquee guys. You want Lafreniere. You want Byfield. You want Stutzel. So I get that. And I'm going to be a little hurt if Ottawa doesn't end up in that top three with at least one pick. Hell, even after top two, I'm going to be feeling a little iffy. Though I think even if Ottawa gets two, they may pass on Byfield. But more than that later, I think it's question time. Let's get to them. 
Got a lot of questions this week. Thank you guys for getting these in. That's awesome. I love the engagement. Here for the content. Scott Crossman asks, should Ottawa be drafting by position at all? Usually I like best player available, but drafting a right-handed defenseman four years in a row seems excessive when there are so many forward holes. Yeah, I agree. I think Ottawa's focus, especially in the top 10, is going to be on filling that number one center role. So you may see them take a harder look at natural centers like Quinton Byfield and Marco Rossi. I think when you have a top 10 that's this good, you have a little more leeway to kind of gear it to your gear your pick to your needs. But if Ottawa's look going into the top 10 saying, okay, we need a right-handed defenseman no matter what, we're making a mistake. But my buddy Sean, can Shane Pinto be a number one center in the NHL? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't think he's a number one center in the same vein as, you know, Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid. Um, Okay, but even that's like too lofty. I think what I'm trying to say is I see Pinto kind of filling into that prime Kyle Turris slot where he's a good 1B. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. I'm far from an expert on prospects. So, but from what I've seen of Pinto, that's the impression I get. Daniel Bruce, would you draft Askarov if he fell to 21 or take a chance with any of our five goalie prospects? I don't think Askarov is falling that far um, in any scenario. But if he does... This one's tough because it depends on who's available. But I don't think you're ever in a position to just take a chance, especially with goalie prospects. Ottawa has really good goalie prospects right now, but goalies are weird, man. Anything could happen. None of those guys could pan out. That's completely within the realm of possibility. I don't think it'll happen, but it could happen. So if you have the chance to take a marquee goalie prospect, why not? You can flip another one in your system for assets if you feel the need. So if Askarov falls that far, uh, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Again, depending on who's available, I, I don't think I want them taking him in the top ten though. They when they have so many other needs that they need to fill. Does Alex Formanton, sorry, this is one is from Cooper. Does Alex Formanton, Josh Norris, Balsers, Batherson, and Branstrom make the team at a training camp plus whoever we draft? Uh, a lot of hypotheticals there. Yeah, it depends on who they draft. Um, I think any three of Lafreniere, Byfield, and Stutzel make their teams at a camp, and there could be more. You could see five or six guys uh, make it out of camp in the top 10. You could see all of them make it out of camp in the top 10. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, other than that, does Formington... Formington, I don't know. I think he should. But Ottawa's getting getting to a point where they're a little backlogged at forward right now where it might be hard to get rookies meaningful ice time. So it depends a lot on training camp. Norris, yeah, I think Norris makes the team out of camp for sure. 
Balsers, he should. Batherson, he definitely should. Drake Batherson is, out of all those guys, the one who I would put my money on as a lock to make it out of camp. He's an NHL player. He's dominated the AHL for two years. His last stint in the the NHL was phenomenal. He deserves to be with the big club. And Brandstrom, Brandstrom, I don't know. I hope so. He looked decent when he was up at the beginning of last season. Um, I think he still has some work to do on rounding out his game. But here's the other thing, too. We're looking at a situation where it's entirely possible that the Sens won't be playing games until January. That's a long-ass time. So in a kind of extended offseason like that, if Brandstrom puts the work in and he bulks up even a little bit or even just gets a little stronger, then that might make the difference for him at a camp. If they want him playing on the left side, it depends if they're bringing Hainsey back or any of those guys. But, yeah, you got Wolandon, you got Shabbat. I think Brandstrom is in maybe is in maybe a bit tough, but it's certainly not without it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility. And I could see it happening for sure. But again, depends on the draft, depends on his offseason, depends on a lot of things. And Ron wants a Mackie mock, a mock draft. Oh okay. Um let me preface this by saying I'm not a prospect guy like some of my colleagues. Um, check, you should check out Ari Spencer and Colin at silver seven. If you want some really good prospect coverage, I more kind of dabble in the pro side of things, but I will give it a shot. We're going to fire up tankathon here. Our lottery simulator, please don't get mad at me. If Ottawa ends up fifth and sixth, cause I'm going to be mad at me and, ah, oh boy, let's do this. Three, two, one. Damn it, fourth and fifth. Oh, well, it's not the end of the world. Oh, man. Okay, this one has Columbus jumping 14 spots up to first, so we're going to do this again. Chicago jumping to first? No. Anaheim jumping to first? No. Okay, it took me like six tries, but I finally got one where Ottawa has the first overall pick and the fifth overall pick, which I would take any day of the weekend twice on Sundays. So if we're going through, we're just going to do the top 10 because ain't nobody got time for anything else. We got Ottawa first, New Jersey second, LA third, Detroit fourth, (laughs) San Jose uh, or Ottawa by way of San Jose fifth, Anaheim sixth, Buffalo seventh, Montreal eighth, Chicago ninth, and New Jersey by way of Arizona at 10. Look at the Devils getting two top 10 picks. So with the first pick, uh, sorry, I dropped my phone. As the Sens, I would take Lafreniere, obviously, um, I don't even really need to explain that one. If I'm New Jersey, number two, I'm taking Quentin Byfield. Again, don't really need to explain it. Los Angeles at number three. Uh, I don't see them based on their forward court uh, and the way it's aging. I don't see them 
taking anyone but Tim Stutzel. They have a lot of good D prospects in their system. So, yeah, Stutzel would be their guy for sure. At number four for Detroit, this one could go any number of ways. Um, If I'm Detroit with the fourth overall pick, I think I'm taking Lucas Raymond. Um, A line with him and Dylan Larkin would be tasty. Number five, you've got Ottawa again uh, by way of San Jose. Hmm. I could see Ottawa going galaxy brain on a pick like this and taking like an Anton Lundell or a Jake Sanderson or, you know, one of those guys. Um, I'm probably taking Marco Rossi, number five. You got Alexi Lafreniere. You got your marquee player. Get your get your center prospect. Hopefully a guy that can fill in and be a number one center. Uh, number six, we've got the Anaheim Ducks, and uh, I'm taking Jamie Drysdale with that pick. At uh, number seven, we got Buffalo, and Buffalo has a solid amount of players. I, I don't definitely don't think they take Yaroslav Askarov because they've got Uko Pekka Lukin, and they've got some good goalies in the system. A couple good centers available. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they take Alexander Holtz there. Um especially with the way they're having troubles with Casey Middlestat or even, eh, man, see, I don't know enough about prospects. If I, I would probably see Buffalo taking Holtz. I would see them going with him. Maybe I'm wrong in that assessment, but my podcast. Number eight, Montreal. Uh, I think they would take probably Perfetti. Um, they need a center, and Kotkaniemi didn't have the year uh, that they wanted him to. Number where are we? Number nine, Chicago. Um, they definitely take a scar off. I don't think that's even up for question. They lost Robin Leonard. They lost Corey Crawford. A scar off falling Chicago would be nuts. And number ten, the Devils. Uh, I don't think Anton Lundell falls out of the top ten. So I think they take him. Maybe that's a little bit milk toast. But again, my podcast. Don't like it? Make it your own unless you're going to make it better than mine, in which case, don't make your own. And I think that is about good enough to wrap it up here for episode 23 of Internal Budget. Thank you so much for listening, folks. I really appreciate it. Make sure you like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, or follow the podcast, share it with your friends, and give me a big old five-star rating. Please, please hit me with that five-star rating. It goes a long way. And you already know, I really appreciate it. I hope you're enjoying the nice weather. I hope you had an excellent weekend. I hope you're ready to kick this week's ass. And I hope you stay healthy and stay safe. Episode 24 coming next week. Take care, y'all.